0: and it is not a Franco day.
1: Mm-hmm. It's the return of our other highly acclaimed, ongoing series, the Movie Review Corner.
0: That's right. So you can zip your pants up. You can put that binoculars down that you were spying through your neighbor's window. It is not Franco day today. So this is no. a this is a lovely sweater buttoned up kind of day.
1: And a large Saxos game.
0: So. Yeah. A lot, which, thank God. Thank God. I'm starting to get what sex is because of these movies. So,
1: and, you know. I'm still learning what it is. So, <laughs> works well for me. Yep. It's so nice. And it's, it, of course, because it's logical, it's how brains work. But the the break and, and re, uh, I guess, uh, what's that word? Well, never mind. My brain's melted. Um, yeah. Okay.
0: Well, this is what I mean, folks. Re-centering,
1: we- there we go, re-centering with varieties of all sorts of movies that we love has only, again, brought back the, the Franco passion, so it's great.
0: Absolutely. It's great. That's okay, because we get to talk about other movies, mm-hmm. which is fun. <laughs> so, <laughs> today we're going to run through three. We're going to run through very fir- the very first one we're going to do, William Friedkin's final film, the cane mutiny court-martial that mm-hmm. showed up on Showtime and I think you can stream it there. The next one we're going to do is also streaming, it's David Fincher's The Killer on Netflix. <laughs> <laughs> and then we will uh, probably save a lot of space to talk about our boy Marty and his latest Killers of the Flower Moon. So. We're gonna we're gonna hopefully keep this episode on you know, at a reasonable length, but I will say, especially for the especially for killers, but also the killer, we're gonna kind of do away with our general rules for talking about these movies and we will get into specifics that many yep. of you consider spoilers. So if you want to listen to these, we're just assuming you're like us and had to see these movies immediately. You're not waiting, and if you've seen them, you'll enjoy these episodes. This episode even more. Um uh-huh. yeah.
1: and not save it, or if you don't give a fuck about spoilers, listen and let us convince you.
0: Yeah, yeah, you can figure out the spoilers for the Friedkin. You know, you <laughs> <laughs> You've probably seen this adaptation of it before, but. That's all right. Let's get into it because he does do something very interesting with it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, we've been talking about our boy Billy, Hurricane Billy, for a minute now. We were we did we recorded an episode and in the middle found out he died and just completely were unable to do the episode. You know, we love the guy. Maybe you were at our Sorcerer screening where we made our fun little tribute video to the man. Yeah, he's one of the greats. Truly one of the greats. And yeah this is his final film that he made for showtime Mm -hmm. and uh (laughs) it's going to be interesting talking about this one for a sec here because it it, i just wonder what the response would be if he did not die versus Mm -hmm. us knowing that this is the final thing we are going to get from him um so I will let Will open up because I can tell he's dying to give us his initial thoughts on William Friedkin's final film. So, Will, why don't you just why don't you just take it away?
1: I think the easiest way to get into this movie personally is if you have never seen Friedkin's television adaptation of 12 Angry Men, um, I would pop that on, get yourself in that headspace and then pop this on. This is very much a TV movie. Yeah, um, if oh, yeah. I think if you, if you come at it like that, then in my opinion, there's a lot of a lot of goodness to glean. I think if you come at it thinking, "Oh my God, the final cinematic moment from one of the titans of you know theatrical experiences," then it'll probably take quite a while, uh, if at all, for it to lock into place for you. Um, so this is a this is a an older story. It's been adapted lots. But Friedkin brings it up to right now. It's set in 2022, I guess. Yeah. Um, yeah, so it's set current, and it is a, uh, just like the title says, it's a, you are just experiencing almost entirely one room, a court-martialing of a dude because he mutinied on a ship. Yes. Because he felt that the captain was going crazy. That's where he started. I don't think we need to talk about plotting on this one personally we definitely at all. Do um, not
0: at all. But
1: all I want to talk about, really, is I think, like I said, if you go in with those expectations, this is a a, a really a really great uh, class on editing and movement within a single space. Um, it does, in my opinion, have a, an excellent rhythm that does build. It takes a while. Once it starts, then. You do feel like you're back in the hands of, you know, Friedkin and why he's such a strong storyteller. Because once this really starts moving, then at least for me, I was truly enraptured. And and by the end, it got me, you know. It got me. The ending, the ending worked on me. Uh, what he was building towards absolutely worked on me. And if you are a fan of Friedkin, these are the themes he's been obsessed with since day one, since People versus Paul Crump. Uh, he loves to interrogate and uh, ridicule institutions while also uh, depending upon how you feel, praising the folks who have been running them for a long time.
0: Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's, it's, it's definitely like him going back to the, some of those films from his early days, like Paul Crump, but even like the boys in the band, like these are bug you could say, you know, or the last third of killer joe you know he loves he loves that theatrical space and i think like this is probably his grandest version of that type of movie i mean he's drawing on quite a tradition of of a movie genre of an american movie genre which is the court film you know everyone has seen plenty of those and I would see, judging from another movie we're gonna to get to later, I he does not reinvent the wheel with it. He just he simply uh, he gives you an expert journeyman's foray and execution of said genre. I agree. Like yep. it's edited well, you know, it's blocked well.
1: Uh, Performances, of course, excellent. Yeah,
0: um, most of them. Some A lot of them. Yeah. There's a couple that adhere a little closer to that ncis vibe and sure yeah
1: some of the some of the little side ones for sure
0: yeah and the look of it is the thing that is probably going to be the hardest thing for a lot of people who come into this wanting more of the freaking that we all know and love uh so much like the essential version of him and yeah it looks like a yeah. Like one of these, any of these like shows that come out, there's a, there's an austerity to the way it's shot though, despite what the lighting, the very flat kind of like TV courtroom lighting of it it. yet. Yeah, no, I mean, he, he, he blocks and cuts it to a degree of a, of a seasoned professional. I don't think there's any way to deny that, but the real question is, is this something like you'd ever watch again? Would you ever be like all right? Well, well I ask because, I asked
1: because of the ending that I well, we don't even need to spoil with this one, but the transition from the hallway outside the courtroom into where the last scene takes place, uh it really got me. Like I said, and I was like, I really now I really want to start at the beginning again and see, you know, what the what the buildup to that is, which I still stand by. There is no buildup for a little while, but then once it starts, it's great.
0: <laughs> no, it, it starts cooking at one point. Like it really like doesn't let go. And you'll probably like, this is not something that we're going to be able to sell to a person who doesn't give a shit about William Friedkin's filmography. This is definitely for the heads. I don't think you're going to make too much of a convincing argument otherwise, but we're just here to say Billy's not going out on a bum note. It may not be the note that you wanted, but it's, 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 I guess it's just within the means of whatever he was able to do. It's just more of a sadder kind of example of how greats like that found themselves toiling with very small budgets with actors from the USA network as their only, you know, Kiefer Sutherland definitely
1: looks drunk. Look, he yeah, he's a he's a mess. It works really well, but it works he, for him. Yeah, he's he a mess in this. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, kind of to your to your point that we started with: would us or anyone else really be talking about this if it wasn't Friedkin's last movie? I think the reason it works so well for me, even if he was still alive right now, I f- I think I would feel the same only because this is a movie clearly being made by someone who is well aware they are dying. You know what I mean? It's not like a, it's not like they made it and then whoops, surprise they died. Like this, it feels like someone who is like, I'm not sure if I'll be back on set tomorrow. Um, You know? Uh, And so I think because of outside of the, the TV look and all that stuff, because of the thematic stuff, he's always been so obsessed with, it was just really nice to watch him return to it. But like you said, I would definitely say, for the heads only, but for the heads, I'd give it a thumbs up, and I think it, uh, I think it ties in uh, beautifully to where we're gonna be living for this whole episode. Um, one of many questions, but I think the one Friedkin loves the most that he gets back into with this movie is how do we feel about people who are doing their jobs, you know? And you have that, that question of is there a, is is there any um. You know, do you give people leeway for whatever position they ended up in and the job that they're doing and the world they grew up in? And it's a good thing. It's a good place to start for the day.
0: I think it's a great place to start. So let's go into our next film in a certain profession that we should apply that thinking to. What We are going to talk about now. This could be interesting because we have not shared opinions uh, <laughs> how we feel about this movie to one another. So this could be the controversial heart of this episode, but it's David Fincher's The Killer. Now, little context with Will and I, if you've listened to some older episodes, we tend to disagree on some of the later films by Mr. David Fincher. I simply you can boil it down to, I really like the girl with the dragon tattoo. I think it's quite good. Will hates it.
1: Yeah, that's the biggest one, because otherwise it's not that it's not that, uh, you know extreme or whatever you definitely like them more than i do currently some of the others gone girl and such um but i don't hate them the only the only one i truly hate because then again we're ignoring man because we've said many times that's not it's out of the it's out of the oeuvre but uh yeah fucking hate girl to dragon tattoo but i still have not done my rewatch i didn't have time before the killer which i had hoped to but i will soon and i'll report back but yeah anyway
0: yeah i'm very curious i the more i've watched that one i've, I've liked it more so i'm curious if you'll feel the same because it's like it just feels like fincher doing working with like studio material you know what i mean like
1: well it's, it's, it's like- hard for me because i think the material is terrible also i hate that book i fucking hate that author i hate yeah. the story <laughs> so it's, yeah. it's it's hard because it's not the you know me i don't i don't feel precious about adaptations i don't give a shit. Uh, In fact, I was excited when he was announced because I was like, cool, maybe he'll fix this shitty book. (laughs) And he
0: did. So perfect. But (laughs) the one misstep we will agree on is got to be Mank.
1: Let's just not ever talk about it anymore again. It's so bad, And we've also gone into it a lot.
0: (laughs) We have. Outside of a few scenes, it's not very good. And it's uh, clear he was trying to do right by his father by yes. making it and even though his father didn't do right by the facts of history but that's okay or even, or even
1: the fun of history that's the greatest sin of that movie is it's not interesting informative or fun at all
0: yeah so <laughs> we have arrived at the killer his, the killer his all could have been nearly silent film exercise into I guess you could say maybe a meta dissection of his own thinking as a filmmaker, but more, Mm -hmm. I think, I think that's the hot way to describe it online. But I think like, you know, with the ending of it and everything, like definitely really getting across the things that pissed off Boots Riley so much, which I think is (laughs) so silly that you would get pissed by that. You know, I mean, I'll just say I like the killer a lot. I thought its coldness, its completely hollowed out design worked for it. I, I it was a um an exercise in style and an exercise in um vapid sort of emptiness, sort of a a like to me it's kind of gotten closer to what he has been trying to do through a lot of his movies and he gets accused of like people would do with Kubrick and stuff being like, Oh, he's a, he has no, he's a cold director, which is funny because it's like, I can't think of a colder director than Dario Argento, but you never hear
1: that applied to him. Nope. But people yeah, confuse different styles with temperatures very often. I think <laughs> they do. <laughs> yeah. They yeah. Do. <laughs> You know, I I I mean,
0: just to start that discussion off, I I liked it outside of a few things which we can get into uh, that yep. robbed it from being perfect. I I was I was very happy to see uh, that shit kicker version of him come yes. back. Yes, agreed, and deliver one of his most thrilling. I mean, I I've, I I found the whole thing completely thrilling, but let's hear what you think before I get into maybe some. It, not gripes but just like things that kept me from completely being like wow this is one of the greatest films of the year
1: yeah. I think what our things will probably be the same I think I just probably reacted to them a little more strong than you did but overall I really liked it I thought it was very good um, and very interesting and like you said I loved I loved I loved seeing him in shit kicker mode where he's clearly like you know what I'm gonna see what happens if I just dive headlong or headfirst into what everyone says I am. Let's do it. let's see what happens. um the thing that's hard for me is this movie reminded me why I love him so much when I do love him and then the gripes reminded me why he annoys me so much and gets in his own way. uh but overall, I still I still very much liked it. I think I would love to see. Can I imagine there were a lot of different versions of this? Because the, and this is rare for me. I don't read fucking comics. I've read this comic. Um And the comic is very different in a great way. Like I said, I like when Fincher ad- adapts things because he doesn't feel beholden to them at all. He doesn't care. Um, And sometimes he fixes them like Fight Club. But... The style of the comic's really, really different, and Fincher uh, definitely latches onto some parts of it, some he doesn't. I would love to see the cut, like you kind of said at the beginning, what the almost silent version would look like, because I think what Fincher is not great at is comedy. And the comedy in this, not entirely. There's some stuff that worked great for me. I, I truly laughed while I was on the edge of my seat, which is there amazing. There were some moments,
0: yeah, yeah.
1: Some of it truly works, but the stuff that doesn't work was like thud level for me and it bummed me out because I'm like, I'm watching you just cook at what you're amazing at. And I get it because again, I think he wanted to fuck with himself and see what would happen. And my theory would be that he maybe may I'm giving too much credit, but maybe he even put some of those dud jokes in there on purpose to see if he could recover from them and keep the movie going. Which he does, if that was the case. Um, but yeah, the 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 sense of humor was the hardest, hardest for me in a lot of ways. But overall, I really liked it and it was fun to be excited about a Fincher movie again.
0: Yeah, I, I so uh, speaking of the humor, I, I really, really enjoyed almost shooting the shooting the the workers coming through at the We work, the abandoned We work. Oh,
1: hilarious. That's a great joke.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's uh, I, I do. It's so funny how we 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 choose to use morals to describe how movies should work. I mean, it's a very newfound thing, and we're gonna see a lot of it with our next movie. Um, yes. But like, it's, it's to see people kind of attacking this movie online. I, I saw more hate about it before really? it came out. Yeah, I mean, at least most of what I saw was like it's a vapid. Like, I mean, literally the things that I think work about it were descriptors of it being bad, that it was hollow. And it's like, yeah, by design, he's getting you in the mind of a man who just murders people for
1: reasons that he doesn't even know. He doesn't doesn't care. care. And that's awesome. That's an interesting character. And as we've bitched about before, the idea that serial killers have to follow a moral fucking code is such a level of cognitive dissonance that I can't even begin to unpack it. And he baits what the you fuck with is wrong it. with you.
0: He baits you with it the whole time. There's so many moments oh, like, oh, yes. he's about to let this one go. And then yep. he doesn't. And I I I was so happy, especially because of well, all right. Yeah, we one gotta
1: skip into some scenes.
0: One yeah. of my one of my gripes is I just I was talking about this with some of my buddies a couple of days ago. I just think we're using Tilda a little too much.
1: Oh, it was bad. It was a huge waste of Tilda also, which is what weird. I mean. It's just yeah. putting
0: Tilda in there for the sake of it being Tilda. And it was like,
1: she wasn't, cause also just like let Tilda cook. Cause if Fincher just would have said, here is your character, go away for a month. Like, here's the mindset. You come back and you do whatever the fuck you want. But instead it's like, Oh, he's a he's a very proper British woman who also kills people. Cool.
0: Yeah, I, I was expecting. Well, weird. It's really odd. I really was when that scene came up. I I rolled my eyes because I was like, "Hey, guess who it is? <laughs> it's Tilda
1: again." But- That's a funny joke. That one landed for me when he says, "Oh, he said she looked like a tooth or like a Q-tip."
0: You know, there were things that made me think that it would go deeper with this, with that character. And yeah, it just felt like it hovered above the surface and not in a way that was intended. I think like by virtue of it being Tilda, we were expected for our brief time knowing them, we're supposed to like get enough from them. And we know Tilda can act quite well. And (laughs) so I was just expecting something that was not in the dialogue which also makes me think like one of the bigger problems I had with the movie was kind of the, the dialogue and the voiceover. I, I, yes. I, I, it didn't ruin the experience for me, but I just kept wondering like, what would this have been without that? Because what we're learning uh, could have been said a couple of times in like a repetitive way. I was kind of hoping like it would just be repetitive lines of dialogue.
1: Yes. Cause that shit, like, well, even with the voiceover, the only time I did like the voiceover is when he does the thing that people got so mad at Marty for doing in The Departed, where the action in the movie itself is allowed to cut off and interrupt the voiceover or the music playing. And when that happens with his voiceover, I think it's very effective and it's great because when he's repeating his mantra, you know, like the... You know, no empathy, yada, yada, all this stuff. And it gets interrupted literally by an action that we're seeing. That's cool. And I think that adds something to it. But when he's just telling us about, you know, grams of protein and stuff.
0: Yeah, the opening, it was the opening dialogue that was like, I felt we could, I understand they were trying to get us in the mindset, but God, I just kind of wanted to sit with the silence of him, like calibrating the sniper. Oh,
1: can you imagine?
0: Yeah, I, I, I just felt like that was Closer to what I expected Of this movie and I obviously It's a fool's errand to go Into a movie expecting what you Want out of it that's the dumbest Thing and that's why we have letterbox But like
1: What we'll talk about a lot with our last movie
0: Yes we will um, <laughs> But you know it kind of dovetailed With like too much dialogue with Tilda and not enough of that dialogue Did anything that Amounted to more than what it was And it just felt like, yeah. if that was the if, in my mind, Fincher's looking at this, is this is the heart of the movie here when he comes into yeah. contact with Tilda. Um, you know, one of those great, like, times when someone just shows up, like uh, a history of violence with mm-hmm. uh, William Hurt and things like that. I guess that's where my head was at, but it doesn't really go to that. The funniest thing that we get is her ordering a whiskey flight. I thought that was pretty <laughs> funny and just, like, downs yeah. it.
1: But – somehow it's the least interesting interaction. Like the the woman at the office of the guy who employs him, like that, that's fucking fire. That scene is incredible. The whole scene, like in the office, and then when they go to her house and the way that she dies, uh, that's fucking amazing. And that to me is, that could be at the end instead of Tilda, Because there's no, and it's why, like even though I don't think there's any world where I would like the actual last moments, Uh, I don't think they would have, like, pissed me off the way they did if we hadn't just come from Tilda leading into that.
0: So let's talk about the last moments. Because when they happened, I was kind of like, because the movie moves at its own pace, and then by the time it gets there, you're just kind of like, it's a little whiplashy. But I think the more I've thought about it, I've I've quite liked it, what he's getting at. I think it's a very true to, I mean... Yeah, it's simply, yeah, you can get away with shit if you do it right. If you truly, yeah. if you truly if you suppress, without you suppress. hurt and human yep. feeling, you can get away with almost anything. And I'm sorry that scares Mr. Boots Riley, but like that's okay. for yeah. all of us. It's, I mean, it's just a, that's- it's a window into a, a psychopath that does things um that justifies everything with this kind of cool calm i listen to the smith's demeanor and also thought i was gonna hate the smiths thing in it because i'm not the biggest smiths guy i mean i listened to them in middle school and morrissey can suck my dick but um great rhythm section you know you take morrissey out of that band you got a great band but um it made sense because it was like this is what a a, a cr- crazy vapid like regular yeah. would listen to is the fucking Smiths on repeat yeah. and the greatest hits you know yes
1: that's what's and, crucial and don't yeah. get I could be wrong on this because I'm also not a big Smiths person so I have not heard everything they've ever done absolutely not as far as I could tell it was just greatest hits and not really any deep cuts in there which is the crucial part. Of why it's so awesome and why it's funny because this dude's a pussy in a lot of ways, despite what he's doing. And Fincher, I mean, Fincher has always been interested in, you know, uh, like weak dudes for sure, in whatever direction, whether they're strong physically and weak mentally, which is usually the case. Uh, but using the Smiths to make fun of him was great, and that yeah. to me worked incredibly well. Um, the the actual ending, like the the true final moments. I agree with you completely. I love what he's saying with it. Love that. Mm -hmm. I don't like how it's done, but I love what is being said. So it's fine. Yeah. It's the classic thing. And I don't agree with people who say that Fincher hates women or has no interest in women. I don't, I think that is silly, but I do think in this case, it was very silly that that, uh, woman who he's supposedly in love with is like the, the linchpin of this stuff Um, because she you know doesn't get anything to do feel nothing for her Uh, I don't think that worked but again I'm not saying it's because Fincher hates women because it's not
0: <laughs> but again this character probably do- doesn't really understand what real love is I mean if you yes. can still yes. with that kind of impunity like you're not going to really understand love you're going to understand the surface of like I've got this hot girl on a Tanning next to me, and that's love. That's my version of I've made it. And I, 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 it, 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 you know, it looks like a fucking, like a sandals ad at the end, and I kind of like that.
1: I I liked, I liked the movie. I really did. All right. Well, that's uh. wait, Wait, I just have to know: Do you like the fight scene? People are bitching about because of the lighting.
0: Yeah, I think it's good. Wait, what? What are people bitching about?
1: Oh, my God. There, I've seen so many, and it's only from... Uh, it was a people. great
0: fight scene, honestly. It was very...
1: Yeah. Oh, I'm, It's fucking awesome. Yeah. And I also think it's smart and interesting. It's the thing that's killing me, this is all only film school people, by the way, who I've seen say this. Like, people I know went to film school.
0: Uh, <laughs> we got to <a> abolish lot. <laughs> film schools. I've, I'm determined we need to abolish film schools.
1: Oh, yeah. Agreed. If I think the all done, done them, more- but we can stop it from getting worse. if yeah, we, they're just if we're creating school now. Creating
0: people with horrible fucking opinions. It's
1: because, uh, damn it, again, the whole goal of this is to put us into this world and have us reckon with how we feel about it and how we feel about loving serial killers and all this stuff. And guess what that room looked like to the two men who were fighting? Exactly like we saw it, because you can't see shit, because that's what happens when you fight someone in a dark (laughs) house. It's really hard to do lighting like that, where, and again, they're wrong, where you can actually see the action, but also it forces you to, again, reckon with why why you so badly wish you could see the blood more. Why you so badly are like, wait, did he get stabbed in the dick? Like, I can't quite tell. I know it's dripping from there, but I really want to see
0: let's move on because we got another filmmaker who is going to take you and rub your nose in it. So like you could have just figured out, we're spoiling
1: fuck. things about these movies. So yeah, we're going to spoil the fuck out of this next one. Oh, we have to, cause there's, and there's no, we could, God damn, we're going to be talking right. to each other about this for our whole lives.
0: Probably. <laughs> so turn it off now and go listen to the, the spooky kids podcast and they'll run through all the, Chucky spin-offs or whatever. And they'll,
1: you can they'll run through you if you're not careful. Yeah,
0: sure. <laughs> Sorry. There's maybe my, maybe. My, no, we're gonna leave that one in. I like <laughs> I love I love uh love you. I love you. Yeah. Well,
1: we're watching all three of these movies, honestly. Before we get to the final one, varying levels, whatever, all three of them have really reinvigorated me and reminded me why this is worth it <laughs> All this shit. Showing movies, talking about movies. Not being able to live without them. Uh all three of these movies in different ways reminded me why that is very fucking true. And that also there's no shortage of great movies. Always. Absolutely. Always. Yeah.
0: I mean, and it it's yeah, this might be we're gonna ramble and we're gonna go through it here because this is uh yes, there you go. Yeah, I know. This is Martin Scorsese's Killers of the Flower Moon. This is the movie you're you're hearing about that you're watching people moan about its length. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. or moan about like DiCaprio's teeth or which I love or moan about Brendan Fraser's 10 minutes of screen time and
1: also accurate and incredible and we can get uh, to that
0: yeah I just I just right off the bat like there's no uh. room for you haters and stinkers anymore you need to I, I, I guess like maybe the Russo brothers are are your level because like <laughs> To the fact that I've had to see so many stupid takes about this movie makes me feel no happiness for people. But no? it makes me and feel... Like- oh, go ahead. Happy. Well, it just makes me feel happiness for Martin. Yeah. And when we still have a living master who just like when you think he's gonna do something he does it even better I mean it these are this is a movie not made by a man of his age uh if so what would you think of how your mind turns on you at that point if you listen to Quentin Tarantino mm-hmm. you know yeah. you're suddenly out of the ability to make good movies which is ridiculous because yeah I'm gonna start this off by saying I think we might be looking at Marty's greatest film which is yeah. no hyperbole this crazy, is
1: crazy but
0: I <laughs> OK, so real quick, we're going to the movie is if you followed the production history of this movie, this was yeah. a movie that um well, also, if you read the book, this is really about the birth of the FBI. That yes. was book details. And that's what the movie was originally going to be. Now, apparently, Marty met with the Osage Nation and they discussed what he was doing with the movie that they didn't feel accurately brought out the experience of the Osage nation through this. Now that doesn't mean what Marty was going to do was in, was a, you know, bad, like it, it, like Marty came from the idea of, I am showing the birth of the FBI and it's going to dovetail with this horrible, horrific crime. Now over the course of it, he realized, okay, I'm talking to these people. They didn't strong arm him into making a woke version of this. He just, he just saw a pathway to, to change his idea, which is one of the things that makes filmmaking so magical, is you you leave yourself open to changing things and changing it. And I, I, many filmmakers will tell you you should never get locked into your original idea. Uh, the filmmaking process is an organic experience that's hard to describe, and it's different for everyone. So, he, and almost
1: no one in the history of arts. Has made something interesting that is solely and rigidly only their experience and perspective. It's almost impossible.
0: <laughs> so. Exactly. so he took uh, Leo out of the Jesse Plemons role of the FBI agent and he put him in the role of Ernest Burkhart, the character, one of my favorite dumb guy characters in a performance that rivals Joaquin and the Master.
1: Agreed. Oh, thank you. See, that's
0: yeah. It's it's amazing. I mean, he's it's, he's
1: it's so the most it's the most subtle performance he has done in my opinion since and sorry to be annoying, but since like fucking Basketball Diaries.
0: He gets a he gets a cool pair of teeth which
1: Also I gotta... guys, fuck off. You know everyone's teeth were still fucked then, right? Literally. That's not that's not like a cool Funny, anachronistic thing. That's how teeth were.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it's so funny how people, it's just Twitter, you know, it's just Twitter people finding these things, and everything has to be one of their dumb jokes. I mean, Twitter's all the good, funny people from Twitter are gone. You know, it's now a game of like, here's a joke that's been done before by someone smarter and funnier than me. Just refill it endlessly and keep making these jokes forever. And it's that's good. what you get with the That's the stupid attitude of these people uh, Getting mad at uh, Brendan Fraser's performance Whatever, we're we're not going to get held up On what the The, <laughs> the internet are saying <laughs> But, you know Like, that's not what the point of this is Like, we're well, going
1: to We are in love today and we are going to profess our love And our admiration Yeah, this is Marty, like Simply put
0: what he does with the story, uh, the book, taking all those facts from the book and putting them into this and just doing his own thing with it, where he basically kind of like calls into question an almost summation of his entire body of work. Yeah, I mean, and he does to it. Watch and- this movie and see certain scenes that he's done before. And now they're recontextualized. The one that stood out the most immediately was um over the course of the film uh Leo is being put in charge of essentially marrying this woman played by Lily Gladstone and
1: also fucking incredible we'll get to we'll get to there but yes oh, but,
0: but De Niro his his uncle is a good man named William Hale who is sort of the
1: King, King William Hale. King William <laughs>
0: Hale exactly he's sort of the the do gooder of the town in the sense of a mm, a neo lib.
1: <laughs> He's the He's like, oh, I gave you a ballet school, I gave you a movie theater. I gave yeah, you I gosh. gave you
0: a I gave you a physician's office that just poisons you, but nevertheless, a physician's office. And at one point in the movie we start getting the sense that it's starting to turn into a little of uh goodfellas with mm-hmm. De Niro in Goodfellas when he starts, paranoid, you know, like a paranoid psycho wiping out everybody. And that scene where he's talking with Leo felt straight out of that scene with him and Ray Liotta when he says, you go to Florida for a little bit.
1: But in true Marty fashion and why he's so astonishing is a lot of filmmakers call back to their own work. A lot of people do it. And some people do it for winks. Some people do it for an interesting reason. But goddamn, Marty does it not to say, wow, I fucked up horribly when I did that the first time to say, wow, I've continued to grow and learn and expand as a human being and how I understand how people work and how the history of humans is. And so he takes everything that comes to your brain when you're reminded of Goodfellas and puts it to use. And it's incredible. (laughs) Well, I mean, he's showing that these ideas, it's not well, just revisiting them, you know?
0: Well, he's showing that like organized crime, like is not just like the, the Italian gangsters. It's not the Irish gangsters. I mean, Casino was the first where he really tried to like yeah. show how it moves outside of the bad guys, quote unquote, into our government. You know, Wolf of Wall Street is an organized crime film about uh about the financial system um there's the and, and and you know other areas of sectors of this uh United States and then the irishman is like the ultimate statement on that with uh showing how it yeah like organized crime and corruption truly exists on a much larger uh scale it's the it's where we sleep it's the people that like tell you or say hey how are you doing today They they administer you medicine I mean they, they're they the people That give you a hug and say I'm with you And I don't mean like Everybody but what he's saying yeah. With the William Hale character is that, that character is America That character is an embodiment of The worst Corroded um, Lecherous venomous parts Of this country and he embodies That like the movie his performance just feels so heavy because he's pulling in every politician every rich asshole who's ever you know stains uh, stained the world with their bullshit and it, it's that that's where the 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 real horror of this movie comes is that you realize like what de niro was able to do has extended to the entire town like- yes.
1: That's a, and it's that reminder also and why it's so nice when we're in the hands of someone like Marty for a, a historical, like a historically based movie is he reminds you that the moment society started to become what we are now familiar with. Right. Like the everything we every part of our everyday lives, the way that started was, again, with this organized crime stuff and with these dudes, like the the systems that we take part in every single day this is where that shit started and it was built off the backs of you know like destroying these people but it's just uh i don't know it was truly horrifying like this has maybe the scariest stuff marty's ever done for my money and it's yeah, the it's- character
0: yeah there's a there's that um he has taken certain ideas and expectations of a hollywood film And he has really kind of wrung them out and replaced them with less reliable conclusions or turns, or there's no twists like that. You know who these killers are when it starts. That's kind of the funny point of the movie is this is not a mystery. And I've heard people say that there was no thrills to it. There was no suspense, which is like, I don't (laughs) want to just bitch about what other people have said today, but it's like, that's absolutely stupid. Like, the movie is beyond thrilling. It just doesn't move with this, like, idea of, like, who's it going to be? Oh, I hope yeah. I get to solve the... get to find all the killers,
1: you know? Well, no, if you want to, like, compare it to someone that people do worship, and accurately, of course, but it's one of Marty's favorite things that he did take from the School of Hitchcock, which is tell him first and see if we can... see what we can do if the audience knows already... Before the characters do, yeah, and this is, one of the, this is one of the most brilliant executions of that that I've seen because we have so much. Even if you've never, if you've never read the book, you don't know who the Osage are, you don't know anything about the story. He tells you. We start literally with him giving you all that information. Oh, I love it.
0: the opening. I oh. love the opening because everything that happens after that is the calm down hangover. Yes, and it feels like that. By the time we get to that, God, that disgustingly uncomfortable scene with Leo when they're burning the field outside, and he's just in the straight like you feel like someone's mind has completely rotted, like completely like blackened, and has weird fungi growing off of it because it's like he's 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 showing this like this implicit trust in a system. I, I guess his uncle, but on a larger scale, our government, our the world we live in.
1: And what he returned to after he comes from the war. That's so crucial, too. Like, he comes back, and that's why he goes to his uncle, because he's like, fuck, I've been gone. How does this country work now? Right. Gone, showing him how this country works now.
0: And his <laughs> uncle's showing him because he is a, a Forrest
1: Gumpian simpleton. Yes, yes. And some, some of the best... Horace Gump character dudes (laughs) in anything are in this movie. These men.
0: No, he's a dumb character. He's supposed to be one of the dumber characters, Mm -hmm. which leads to like, okay, so he's listening to De Niro. And that's how you would go into this is someone, the villain would probably know the entire Osage language. You know, they've done research up on it because they are looking to, to corrupt it to take it over and I thought that was such a brilliant scene to show him you know he's saying things that are dated but he doesn't feel like a full villain yet you feel like if you were uh DiCaprio coming home like oh okay well he's he's getting me to know the lay of the land and that brilliant scene where he's like, don't talk like a blackbird he's like you know how blackbirds go oh. which just says so much about where this movie is about to go. And the idea of speech as a thing that sometimes means absolutely nothing talks cheap as fuck. And a lot of the words that are said in this movie uh, by a lot of these white characters don't mean anything, which leads us to probably one of the more leads us to the thing that caused uh, one of the Osage nation members to, um, Call it out on the red carpet. Christopher Cote. Uh, I don't believe meant this in a way to take the movie apart, but the internet caught on to it pretty hard. And it I'm not going to read the whole thing, but basically it boils down to is he wished that he would have had a movie from the Lily Gladstone character's perspective. Now, wouldn't we all want everything that we want in the world? Like, I mean, sure, that movie could have taken place. I wonder what dramatic beats you would have given it
1: because. Well, you would uh, have to change a piece of the story that a lot of people don't like, which is straight from the people who lived it and their relatives and the confirmation of that and the people that Marty and his whole crew spent time with. The thing that you would have to dispense with is the real love between Leo's character and Lily's character. And that that, cause that is your only dramatic set piece. If you fully went from that direction and people would not like that. If, <laughs> if this movie were only from her perspective, cause that would be mostly just a love story. And we wouldn't,
0: we would get very little of the reasons, the machinations for why this is an important story, because this is trying to show not Necessarily, the point of view of the victim, which well, again I'd like to challenge, because like people claim that she doesn't have enough in this movie, she's got a lot to do in this movie. Oh, I, I truly think this is the most bad faith casting of people who don't know how to critique or think about movies anymore. To say that her character has nothing to do in this movie it is is insane. I mean she she's amazing in this movie, and she probably acts uh the pants off of de niro and DiCaprio. at least she gives them a run for their money she does yeah. more with without dialogue than, than the uh, you know most you know in most of their scenes so like cool. to to say that she is not represented in this movie comes down to a matter of like i, I you can't really have everything with a movie like that's why a, an artist a filmmaker gets in and is able to do what they can with, especially if you're the caliber of Marty. And I could not listen to anybody say that Marty doesn't care about these people or women. That's one of the stupidest uh, internet lines going around right now. But it's sad that this guy's, what he said got taken out of context because I think what he's saying is not a damnation of the movie, but just like a sad realization. Like, Well, we don't have a lot of people of the Osage Nation who are directing. And, you know, he says we probably need it to come from someone's perspective, uh, an actual Osage. So, you know, that's not Marty. So, you know, I guess the tragedy is like we don't not enough people uh, get chances to to make movies. That's why there's such an influx of great white male artists, because they get the most shot. Most filmmakers suck. Most of them are terrible. So the ones that are good have been wrung out of this big pile. And yeah, like I I don't think that taking what he was saying was necessary um, by a lot of people online because. I
1: think people were just excited for an excuse. Like they were waiting for it with bated breath to get an excuse to say that, you know. Well, the, I mean, because it, cause it, like with with all the reporting that went on while they were in preparation for years working on this movie and Marty meeting with and becoming very close with um, many of the Osage folks that are around still, um, people were still, I think, already excited to be like, oh, I can't wait to see him fuck this up, even with their help. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> Yeah, it's that, kind of, it's that kind of thing. And that, uh, that I I just don't I don't understand wanting to live life that way. Um <laughs> But I don't
0: understand. But I don't understand the, the need to like this is where movies have to come from. Like Marty said himself, like there's so many blind spots. You can only get to as many as possible. And we'll get to the ending in a second, which is like should shut the door on this whole discussion. But it's like, you know. Well, there's a quote from the New Yorker. So this guy, uh Anthony Lane, you know, of his very rambly, shitty New Yorker review says, although the film's moral ambition is to honor the tribulations of an indigenous people, it keeps getting pulled back into the orbit emotional, social, and eventually legal of white men. Well, yeah, that's the move. I mean, I don't know it's if it gets well, completely well, how this happened. That, but it's it intense. But here's another thing. If you take Lily Gladstone's character out of this, do you have the same movie? Because it seems like you're talking all around all these other scenes that exist, But if you take Lily out, the whole thing falls apart. No one has the He's cult to, or the intelligence to probably just say like that's the counter argument to that. The movie puts a drum yeah. incredibly dramatic weight on that. What it is concerned with is concerned with talking. To probably most of the people that are gonna go see this movie. The the white people that go see it, like they're shocker to a lot of you. There are a lot more white people around today than the Osage Nation. Mm-hmm. And that's a very unfortunate fact. Uh it's disturbing. This movie should only make you crawl in your skin thinking about that. But like, these are the people that are going to see this movie. These are the people in power. If Marty who obviously can't probably speak on the ills of the world right now, seems to be making pretty clear his feelings about the modern world mm-hmm. and who we put our faith in blindly, implicitly and who we should learn to not trust, which is generally just people in power. Uh, nine out of 10 times, they're going to fuck you over.
1: Yeah, Yeah. If someone, if there's an, a fucking white knight situation, whether literally one or that represents an entire group of people who just show up, it's usually for a reason, you know? Uh And I think too, like, like you said, Lily to me is the ballast of this movie. Truly. Like that is, like you said, it all falls apart instantly without it. She is the guiding force of this entire film. And again, if you finish the movie and don't feel that way, I, I'm very curious to hear how you can not see it that way. Uh, but <laughs> if you walked out, maybe if you walked out before, uh, I don't know, let's say the trial finishes, I guess you could maybe feel that way. But this movie, the way it starts and finishes makes it crystal clear that that's what's happening here.
0: So listen to this. Here's Richard Lawson at Vanity Fair. Here's what he says. For all the episodic ramble of Killers of the Flower Moon, not enough space is provided to restoring palpable personhood to people so relentlessly robbed of it.
1: Wow. See, and again, okay, look,
0: real quick hey, 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 hey. Kevin Maher at the Times, New York Times, says is a mate the her character of Molly is a major disappointment. Championed in pre-release hype as Scorsese's conscientious pivot away from his usual white male anti-heroes. To a non-white female heroine, she is a worryingly slight creation who spends most of the film in a horizontal stupor. Well, she's poisoned, you dumb motherfucker. She yeah. faints. She groans. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> she's grief-stricken. She wails. She's sedated. She's incapacitated. She's poisoned. Well, he tried.
1: Wow. How do I re-
0: I genuinely... Like, like I Kevin Marr on social
1: media. I am confounded that you can watch this film and get that from it. I think that is such a reach, like a really, a really, really, really big reach. Because I also, I think what the movie does highlight incredibly well, and you touched on it earlier, is language and the importance of language. And also it's not without purpose that early on in the movie, like you said, the Blackbird thing, but also he highlights the fact that when he, he he coaches him and tell him when he's with Osage people, it's better to keep your mouth shut, right? Yes, yeah. it's better to be quiet. They're quiet people, they're contemplative people. Thank and you in film, pointing that out, Christ. Yes, and in this film, and why Lily's so amazing, and everyone is because they get across these characters without words, and that's the fucking point. Because the white dudes are talking all the time and not saying anything except when they're telling someone to kill somebody. And it like the, the, the incredible scene where, uh, the, uh, what is it? The 25 families, uh, heads rather from the Osage nation are meeting to figure out what the fuck to do about these murders is after one of Lily's sisters gets murdered. Uh, and. The, the tiny moments we get with the different people in those scenes are fully formed characters. And it's, again, because the film successfully highlights a different kind of society where people are people without having to fucking spell everything out and say everything. You're almost
0: curious, like, this feels more offensive than what he's actually charging the movie with. It's like, were you looking for this, like, stoically stereotypical, like, Indian is that what well, you were after? Was that what you'd feel more comfortable with in this movie? Because that's not the performance she gives. Mm. Uh, like, you know, the, the, you know, the thing is, is like, if she's going along with it is because the movie is very, I think, kind of beautifully ambiguous about the love between the two of them, mm-hmm. even though it seems pretty fucking clear. But again, that's what this movie is telling you is how much do you trust that? considering who they're in bed with, how far does this lie go? And the thing that's brilliant about the DiCaprio character in her is I don't think he, I think along with us, he's working it out the entire movie. Yes. Make him a good character. He's a shitty person, but he is a, like, he's a Forrest Gump simpleton. He is a lot like the character in the master. He is just led around like a dog. But like a dog with a very low IQ, they can learn certain things. He learns their language to the best of his ability over the course of this movie jumps a lot of time throughout it and it never signifies it, which I think is brilliant. But like like a dog, he loves he has a capacity for love and I don't know. I, 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 It seems like those scenes with him, he's very much in love with this character. And I don't think he knows that he's administering arsenic. There's so many interpretations that you can put into his character, which is so brilliant. But like part he of knows, me he
1: knows he's giving her something bad for sure. Like he's aware that he's adding something that these people have told him to add. So he would be able to deduce that it's not good but I don't until a certain point where he himself takes it to find out. Cause like you said, this is, he's, this is a very simple guy. And so he gets to the point, because again, I think what the love you're talking about, his love is welling back up when he has a moment to realize, and he's looking at this person that he does have love for, whether he can say it out loud or not, he does have love for, And then it finally dawns on him, like, what am I giving her? What am I doing to her? And so he tries it himself. Because, again, like you said, like a dog, he has to learn through actual experience, not through words.
0: Yes. And if he does think that he knows he's giving her, I don't think he knows it's like arsenic. I think he thinks it's like they say, it's something to slow her down, you know. I do think
1: that oh, like, a or something at that point. Yeah, he thinks he's sense. doing
0: something, even though he knows he may not be giving the insulin. He might think that he's doing something to help her in his own twisted way, because like that is where he comes from, and he's having a very difficult time pulling himself away from the idea of an of an America that would you know we wouldn't do this to someone. It's it's impossible for him to imagine that this would happen this way. Yep. like it just you know he has to go through this incredibly long torturous um thing and you know he's he's only poisoning himself mentally every time he administers this poison to his wife and over the course of it he just seems he becomes more deranged more diseased feeling i mean just a man who is Intuitive enough to know that something's wrong, but not smart enough to know where the problem is. Yep. And I can't think you know, of a better. I can't think of a better way to describe a lot of people in this country. So <laughs> I'm sorry if it makes you uncomfortable. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yep. Hate that. It, hate that he. Uh, hate that Marty did the trick from Wolf of Wall Street to you again, where at the end of the movie he flips the camera to a reflection of the audience in the theater and asks them to sell the pen. You know, yep. it's that's that's. That's what he does. We'll get to the ending in a second. I feel like we still have a lot we could talk about. Oh, for sure. I just
1: want to, to I guess, put a bow on this section and also further refute what uh, I didn't realize how many people are saying in reviews like that. Um, again, if you don't finish the movie, sure. But one of the, the most powerful moments, and the film agrees the way it's presented, is when we finally get the confrontation between Lily and Leo. And she directly says to him, what what were you giving me? What was in it? And again, the brilliance of this movie is it's really hard to tell if Leo knows for sure or just knows something was wrong from the one person he trusted that he had in the world after he got back from war with his, his, which is his uncle. So he says what his uncle told him, which is that he's giving her insulin. And that is finally the moment because Lily, just like Leo is also trying to figure this fucking shit out because the one man who seemingly helped a lot of them, the one white man was his uncle was De Niro's character. And she grew up with him. She grew up around this man being a good force in her life and so that's the moment she's also reckoning with all of that, and the one piece she needs is to find out if Leo knew about it as well, and that's when she's done. That's finally the moment that she just gets up and walks out on him.
0: Yeah, I mean whether he knew or not, like obviously it doesn't she doesn't
1: matter because this it, movie's. She
0: it's probably time to go you know yes. it's, it's gonna be well, hard yeah. to make that relationship well, yeah. <laughs> yeah but yeah i mean it's it's probably that was one of the best parts of acting from both of them because oh. you could see the you could see the vulnerability in gladstone's eyes asking that question and you could see the confusion in de niro or dicaprio's eyes as he's trying to answer it mm-hmm. like it it, it maybe he lied again. Cause that was like too close. He didn't want to spoil the idea of their love again. Like the killer, his idea of love might be very different than what love really is. And he, if he loved her, he believes he loved her to the best of his ability or as much as he could. Um, And I do certainly think the scenes we see of them have a tenderness to them that uh makes it really hard to say that this movie uh You know doesn't want to give any credence to like her or their relationship in a measured way because the movie feels pretty confusing as to where he yeah where he stood on that how much he actually knew and that's I think the great heart of the movie uh, the, the ugly heart but it's the thing that beats this whole movie along is like how much do we take as people to believe that we're doing the morally right thing. Cause I think you could extend that pretty clearly to the De Niro character, who I would say is about, I mean, he's smarter than DiCaprio, but that man does think he is doing the right thing.
1: Yes. No, he's, he's a, he's a full, full delusional because he has convinced himself this is the right thing. And that also, and he says it a million times, it's the inevitable thing. It's the way it's going to be. So let me do it because I will do it nicer and better than anyone else will.
0: Yes. And his the the final lines we get from him in the jail cell um, are the only only times in the movie where is the only time in the movie where, yeah, he I mean, he's the villain. But there's some things he says that are kind of eerily right. And that's that beautiful moral. I don't know, you know, what is, everything's very complicated. Like the world where he because says, he's proven like, right. he's proven right. Yes. Well, okay. Let's get, we'll save that. Cause we'll come to the end. Uh, what I will say though about DiCaprio yeah. is, he is very much in line of with a, a, a lot of the Scorsese characters of the, the dumb complicit guy. I mean, this is a perfect piece to sit right next to the Irishman about a man who didn't really know what he was doing when he was killing people throughout his entire career. And he's just left, you know, in a fucking old hope folks home being like, do you remember J- Jimmy Hoffa? No. Okay. And he, the sadness of that, where he has gone his whole life, unknowing what he took part in, if he had something to do with the JFK assassination is, uh, I think a just a really nice companion piece to this movie, it goes along with Wolf of Wall Street. This goes along with The Departed, which people still don't read correctly. You know, the
1: you could even do Age of Innocence, like we could play this game with most of them, but even something like Age of Innocence, you could, which it seems you know, people say is not a crime film. It is, uh, organized,
0: well, it's a <laughs> organized group of people conspiring to ruin other people's happiness.
1: Yes, yeah, so
0: sounds like it's pretty it similar. It
1: works as well, and I think, I think, I feel like. And I feel a little mean saying it, I guess. Actually, no, never mind. Uh, I'm tired of everyone. Uh, (laughs) I think people just are really are showing their cards that they are no longer interested in something that doesn't give you any answers.
0: I think that's a big part of it. There was a really great, I'm trying to find it now. Um, Her name was Soraya Roberts. Uh, She wrote for a website called The Defector that I've kind of heard of. Um, okay. a little bit but she had a really great article about this called killers of the flower moon ask you to sit with its contradictions well right there you don't need to read yes. that article it's like thank
1: you that's oh, already better than all the fucking bullshit reviews we pulled things from
0: <laughs> exactly she says there seems to be a collective inability in our culture to sit in silence without saying something reflexively particularly when that silence is pregnant with the kind of contradiction art is meant to produce. That's it. Oh. I mean there's that's it. I mean it's 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 I mean it's yeah. speaking about people with Twitter accounts and letterbox. It's people cannot reflexively sit and think anymore. It's an immediate how did that movie ma- immediately make me feel and how can I go tell people that I accurately read it. I mean that's why these stupid things that like for the L.A. Times, Justin Shang, you know, basically, I mean, his article is something like, Kills of the Flower Moon is a powerful, epic, and a qualified triumph. Um, but then he says, eh, but there's a timid, There's it's timid. Um, knowingly, it knowingly positions its own white perspective as othering and inadequate in its meditation. It is, uh, King Hale is appointed unsettling acknowledgement of the ways in which history is commonly twisted to one's own end, um, but then goes on to say that, like most of these, uh, it just refuses to engage with uh, the Molly character, which to me is another level of I want to be the smart reviewer, which is this me, me, me attitude of these new reviewers out there that like to understand that something's good but they're going to find that one thing. And what are they going to do? Like a child that learns a new word and repeats it all the time. It's going to be about representation. It's going to be about, you know, you know what I mean? Like that's, that's where it goes to. And you can't just sit with things anymore. You have the hottest take and you have to have seen through the lies because no one wants to be, you know fooled by a lie that's insulting to your intelligence so you must have
1: you'd have to learn god for fucking bid. your mind expands
0: um Soraya I just want to kind of highlight a couple more things about her article because it's nice to see someone using their brain on the internet um she goes on to say but sit with it a minute you may realize this is a film not about the Osage but a film about settler America's relation to the Osage and more largely to the world. Specifically, it's a film about a country's colonialist, exploitative, violent, destructive, patriarchal subjugation of the world. This is a story of white America, as Scorsese has always been eager to tell. And just as Scorsese could not tell the Osage story, the Osage couldn't quite tell this one.
1: Wow. Damn, can we, we got to <laughs> track down this person. Oh, no, truly, I'm just, I'm just really happy to see someone even taking a breath clearly before they write their fucking online things, whether it's an article, whether it's a post, whether it's letterbox, whatever. It's just nice to see someone take a breath before they have to tell everyone how they feel and how they should feel.
0: So let's, before we jump into the ending, one little thing that I want to point out got a pretty small small potatoes in this movie but you forget why Scorsese can be one of the funniest comedy directors of all time I'm not going to go through every bit that was funny in this movie because there are a lot of it that
1: would be another two hours so there is
0: one scene that made me uncontrollably laugh out loud and I'm not a laugh out loud guy like it's just it's just not who I am but this one just came out And it was the scene where that guy towards the end of the movie when the FBI is kind of coming to town and wrapping everything up. And he's he's like now. So if I adopt these two Osage children and something were to happen to them, would I get their head rights? And the guy who's looking, he's like, "Okay, so just want you to realize what you're saying is it sounds like you're planning to kid to adopt these children and then just kill them.
1: he says are you asking that because then his response is well not if you tell me it's not legal yeah exactly (laughs) but when he
0: says the line like it sounds like you're gonna adopt these children and then kill them (laughs) like just it was a perfect line reading and just a breath that this movie allows you to take for a second that's like you know kind of revel in how silly that this all this corruption is on the surface, it's like wild. The tunes, yeah, you know? it
1: like most, like most, falling
0: out of like, it's getting sloppy, you know what I mean? Like, yes, yeah, he's like all these characters in these villains in Scorsese's universe who get um obsessed with uh maintaining their empire, they generally lose it at the fucking end of the movie and start getting a little sloppy, yeah, and they
1: can't, they can't handle it because they're not very smart.
0: Yes, or so they're they're in fear. They, yeah. they know things are closing in on them. Yeah. And um, yeah, but there's <laughs> just moments that you're not like are not technically on paper funny, but the way he delivers them, you're yeah. just disbelief that like anyone that actor,
1: does. whoever that fucking dude is, put him in more movies. That guy's great. He's got a great face for movies.
0: Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's just the movie knows when to tighten the tension around you. It knows when to release it. It knows where to devastate you. It's yeah. This is Marty's. This could be the greatest thing that Marty ever did. So now let's just get to the very end of the movie because that that
1: fucking ending, which up to this point, I was like, wow, Marty has outdone himself. And then when it switches to, I assume the scene we're going to talk about first, I truly, it was hard for me to sit still.
0: And and just so we're saying, we're not talking about the final shot of the movie, which is beautiful. Oh. Um, but this is. Uh, we'll
1: leave into that because that. Is the that's, well, there's
0: nothing else to say about that. I mean, it's a beautiful oh, yeah. final shot for the movie. But this is the ending, the epilogue, where now, okay, this is where I think this is so interesting in Marty's career, and where it kind of dovetails with American films, uh, American film history, and a uh, movie we talked about today. We talked about. Kane, Martiny, Kane Mutiny Court Martial, which does not reinvent the wheel when it comes to the courtroom drama. Well, Marty does kind of reinvent the courtroom drama in a sense, where he robs you of the things that you're expecting from it, and he gives you this epilogue. Now, before we get to the epilogue, one thing that I thought about this movie coming out of it was, to me this felt, and why it felt so grand for Scorsese is the first thing I thought of immediately was his documentary on American cinema. The one that yes. played on PBS that any respecting head has seen over and over in their youth. You Gotta. Uh, where I feel like I came out of that was when he's uh, investigating American cinema and the genres that are inherent to American cinema, the most inherent genres being the musical, the Western and the gangster film. Now we already know what he did with the musical once he's not, too excited probably to do that again. Now there is a lot of beautiful music choices in this movie. Like that mm. play quite musically and lovely. Uh. You could maybe have a stretch to these getting a little musical with it, but you see the complete intersection of the western and the early gangster films because as the timeline closes in on itself, the west is dying and this new uh racketeering is starting. We mentioned that the ellipses in time are not really signaled, and it's so brilliant how suddenly you see that house with nothing around it, and suddenly it's a neighborhood.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: It's just – it doesn't bother with little watermarks to say five years later because the passage of time is meant to reflect that we have not passed too far. In this world, we don't do things as explicitly as we do that, but you can see how those criminals are already thinking, well, maybe if we just were slower about this uh, wiping out of these people, what if we just got smarter about how we do it? We have not changed that much. So, coming to that, just personally within his filmography, felt very like the circle coming closed for Marty. So, which leads us into this epilogue. Can I
1: re- Real quick, just one thing before you go, <laughs> just want to highlight where if you've never seen Scorsese's Journey Through America movies, the very ending of it is right before his first movie comes out and he says in his voiceover that this is where he stops because he can no longer talk about the language of film and the history of film once he's involved exactly and that's just important to, no, you're to right. what he finally felt the confidence to do
0: here exactly you're 100 correct about that and i think that is him just saying like yeah i'm just gonna make it and we'll just go from there so what happens uh with the theater uh or the uh the um the the courtroom drama that It's suddenly morphed into we don't even get to hear the the sentence. What happens is the trial is cut off right before the moment that every it's the big money shot moment for any of those fucking movies. It cuts it off right there. And a move that I certainly didn't see coming (laughs) flips us into suddenly an epilogue made by the Lucky Strike Corporation on one of those. Uh, Colgate comedy hour, uh, true crime hours that were popular in the 30s and 40s. It's supposedly supposed to take place in 1936. So, what happens is, uh, and if you're listening now, you've probably seen it. You know, we are retold the FBI's fictionalized version of the events that we just saw. So, if you thought this movie was maybe being a little nice on the FBI, <laughs> wrong. Also, the FBI is hardly effective in this. They only come around oh, when, is, you know, yeah. they get too much. Like, she has to go to Calvin Coolidge and say, please, someone. Yes. <laughs> there's all these unsolved murders that have even been investigated. <laughs> no, These and, are truly, really yeah, like, something yeah, like... Oh, go ahead. Well, Jesse Plemons is so brilliant because there's almost a reluctance to get the job done. Like, he's kind of like, well, I'll solve up. i oh, come back later. Okay. I'll
1: be back Friday. Okay. Yeah,
0: you know, they do solve it, but it, you know, it's like.
1: And they also highlight. Yeah, yeah. And they highlight the fact that they did the thing that all powers that be do, where you convince someone who can be on the inside to help you get that foot in. So when the FBI shows up, we have this character who's a Native American character. who is able to get in good with the Osage, so that the FBI can start to get their footing? And that, yeah. and you know, the way the story is told and the way history is told, that's probably the one of the earliest times someone, you know, on a on an on an organized governmental level, like you know, thought to do that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, <laughs> Let's it's go to the hard.
1: small town, and we need to bring someone with us that no one will suspect as part of our crew.
0: Well, yeah, J. Edgar Hoover. uh, character who has a lot of problems uh yeah this is the start of the federal bureau of investigations so like you know it's like a lot of what he didn't get to tell about the birth of the fbi from switching his script i think he didn't need to do because i think what the ending does is just truly brilliant because yeah it's everything is retold through this like Lucky strikes uh true crime hour. Jack White's there doing fucking like, well, and that, you know, just, just
1: like brilliance. I also argued with someone hard this morning because they, they literally said, which also sounds like some shit. I would say it's so stupid. They said I was with it until Jack White was there.
0: Okay. Well, that is stupid. So
1: yeah, I mean, but the like, casting of him as someone who has made a career off of definitely a watered down version of, absolutely black music is not to be missed for this final moment. That's all. That's you better, all. I'm
0: you better believe it because his record label does like he and Scorsese are both putting themselves under the spotlight of scrutiny here because yes, Jack White, along with a lot of great labels, reissues a lot of 1920s, 30s blues music. Um, Scorsese shows up to deliver the facts because yeah, the the guy is uh, feels complicit in just telling the story for the the sheer entertainment value because now the story has been homogenized into this brief thirty minute uh, thing for people to listen to while they're I don't know nursing the black eye that their husband gave them while they're cooking them a mistake yeah you know like that's what this was for and everything gets sanitized. Into a very neat, complete package that the FBI used a lot to sort of bolster their own image when they didn't have an image. Now, if you've seen Michael Mann's Public Enemies, you already know this. But this is uh, this is very much a part of what he's saying, and tying back to what De Niro says in the uh, in the jail cell, where he says, "You know, over time, people will forget." And that's the most horribly sickening feeling of this movie is that if this was not a movie starring Leonardo DiCaprio and Robert De Niro directed by Martin Scorsese, the book would still exist. But how many people were going to pick up
1: the book? Yeah. Well, even the fact that now people know about the first film adaptation of this is literally only because of what you just said. And that's yeah. what this movie is about. It's about the fact that now. People care, whether they care for real or just care on social media, people care about this story because Leonardo DiCaprio and Robert De Niro are starring in a Martin Scorsese movie.
0: Yeah, and it made me think of um, uh, Serge Denis and Jacques Rivette when they wrote all those articles about, I forget the name of the movie, I think it was a Louis Maul film, but where they talk about sort of the aestheticizing of the concentration camps. Yeah, it's a Night and Fog. It's not Night and Fog. They like Night and Fog. That's not. Oh, love. I'm sorry.
1: Not Jesus. That's not Lou. No.
0: I, I, it, it doesn't matter. It was just some. Rude oh, last Metro.
1: Fucking Last Metro.
0: Not the Last Metro either. Huh? It's, I don't. It doesn't matter.
1: Whatever. Sorry, move on. on. It's that. some
0: fucking movie. No one remo- is remembers anymore. But they're talking about a final shot of the movie with a character's hand gripping the barbed wire fence surrounding the concentration camps, and the dramatic zoom in that it does. And what they reckon with is the aestheticization of violence and using it for entertainment purposes. And Scorsese has quite brilliantly addressed that at the end of his movie to say, yeah, I told you this story that I really wanted to tell, but I filled it with a lot of beautiful slow motion shots, tracking shots, things to give it suspense, things to lie to give you the sense of emotion. Mm -hmm. And I, they, I, I, I don't know, I can't think of a a smarter way to do that. Uh instead of like a little like written epilogue. Cause I'm gonna be honest, it shows I should always trust Scorsese more, but I figured there was gonna be just oh. the written epilogues at the end, and yeah. I'd be left thinking, like, regardless of that, that was brilliant, loved it, amazing, gonna go home and uh definitely drink. So yeah. But the, he, he goes one step further and he does the great completion of his love of the Westerns. He delivers the most Fordian ending he could have possibly done. I mean, John Ford would be pretty fucking happy, I would imagine, with an ending like that. It reminds me of... He'd be mad he didn't do it exactly that way. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he would. No, he would because, uh, because this made me think of the, those final shots and uh, Fort Apache with uh, uh, yes. Wayne looking out and the, you know, he just goes in line with the rest of it. Even though we've watched Colonel Thursday's massacre of these Native Americans as like just absolutely horrendous. But, you know, because it's the army, he just goes along with it and he just, you know, he essentially agrees to bury the past and move on. The Searchers, the end of that movie, does John Wayne live and come back to return Natalie Wood, or is he just fucking dead in that doorway? Wings of Eagles. You you could just keep going on and on and on, but it just made me so happy to see someone, like, really, you know, understand that and
1: just deliver it in that way. It made me think as well, uh, just with the whole episode today, and it's not an insult to uh, Friedkin, his other movies, or the one we talked about a little bit. But without spoiling it, Friedkin's ending, I think, is awesome and what he wanted. I think it's a it's a last I think it's the last breath of rage he had in him, you know, that fire and that he
0: Freudian- aspect to it you know it's yes, I think he had uh, it throwing things that was a big part of his filmography
1: yes and he and I do think he got it across and it's great to see but why this is so special with marty is he did something that none of us could have seen coming no one could have broadcast and for my money I I certainly have ne- I've never seen anything like this truly like to this level in a in a mainstream film um, In, and any film that's as effective as it is
0: yeah I, I it, not at the level at which he goes to it it does you know I bring him up a lot but does remind me of uh, Eastwood reminds me yeah. a lot of yeah. his yeah. Scenes, American Sniper being one of them yeah. Um, it reminds me of some of uh, Spielberg's latest endings I think Ready Player One is a much darker ending than what you what it seems is presented as because that's what makes this Fordian, and we're not going to go into a deep uh, explanation of what that is. You can figure that out for yourself by going through the lovely task of watching
1: everything John Ford ever made. Task is a task is a strong word. It's yeah, like, yeah. It's a fucking privilege.
0: It's called ignore your friend, put your phone away, and just ignore everyone. <laughs> yep. Um, it's, just, it's, it's, like, it's the type problem. of ending where you think you're getting something that almost seems like thoughtless or like passively like a comedic thing or it's tossed off like i've heard people say that that ending ruined it for them and i think yeah. that they miss the fact what it's trying to sum up about the movie and where we are now uh because you know ford was able to communicate different things if you're asleep at the wheel you'll see the ending one way if you're asleep at the wheel of into fort apache you'll think well tradition and you got to move on with it but if you're paying attention and you're a person with blood coursing through your veins and your heartbeats, you're, you're going to be left in what we were just talking about a reflexive state to think about what you just saw and process it instead of coming to the conclusion that what it did was give you not what uh, your experience deserved.
1: Yeah. Cause that's the, that's the hard fucking truth. You know, if you felt marginalized by that ending, <laughs> I don't (laughs) know
0: to finish that sentence.
1: (laughs) I think people, the folks who listen to us, I think they could probably fill that in.
0: (laughs) That's how we're going to end this episode. If you felt marginalized by that ending, fill in the blank. And with that, we had a very lovely time reviewing three all good movies that we enjoyed, but with three different uh, varying levels of why we enjoyed them and. One of them we're going to talk about probably till uh, the world spins off its axis. The other two, I don't know, but Hey, that's the thing. Time will tell, but I think I have a pretty good idea. The killers of the flower moon will be, uh, oh. be something. So let me, Should we, do you want to give people a little? No, we probably shouldn't. Cause it's not official yet, but let's just say we want to honor this screening. Um, we're, we'll be back at the music box. Um, without highs and lows next year. And we we're, we're setting up some things around Oscar time. And one of them is a Marty movie that we are working very hard to get for you all.
1: Yes. And it's a it's a Marty movie in this realm. It's it's a it's a, a Marty film. We're excited to watch with all of you and see if folks are ready to uh you know be open to what it had to say when it came out.
0: We'll see if studios are be open to let it out. Yeah.
1: yeah. Um,
0: All right. Well, that was fun. We'll do more of these when uh, we keep getting movies of quality that we want to talk about. So um, until then, I guess. Keeping it 100 here at Oscar Bait. Keeping it 100 over at Oscar Bait.
1: Right.